Hello Trauma Thrivers, welcome on a Wednesday lunchtime and welcome to my guest today, Dr Anna, who is going to speak to us about neurofeedback and trauma. And before I, I, I introduce her, I'd just like to say hello Dr Anna and thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me, I feel very excited. Uh, I love uh, having the chance to talk about my favorite subject. Lovely. So it couldn't be better for me. And uh -huh. thank you for allowing me to join you with the unusual schedule. I hope it doesn't trip people up. Uh, and, you know, because it's a long weekend, it's nice to be able to get it done rather than miss it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, indulge in our favorite subjects yeah exactly exactly and i and i want to know too more about neurofeedback and how it works with trauma so you know before we get into that let me just introduce you so i'm going to say dr anna holds a clinical psychology doctorate and phd She's got postgraduate diplomas in both family therapy and group psychotherapy and is trained in neuropsychology and neurofeedback. She's also got a home homeopathy degree by Middlesex University. Dr. Anna is an experienced family advisor with a demonstrated history of working successfully with families across the lifespan. She's skilled to in identifying the most cost-effective way to bring, to bring balanced improvement to family di dynamics. She's a pioneer in working cohesively with other professionals and advisors to families, both in the financial and legal sectors, in order to support families in their implementation of change. Dr. Anna finds balance between achieving goals and identifying the root causes of the issues so that they're not handed down to future generations. And that's why I'm really passionate. I know Dr. Anna and I wanted to introduce her to you guys today in Trauma Thrivers, um, you know, because I know that we all care about that and not passing the legacy of trauma on down through the generations. And I think, Dr. Anna, you're aware, I wrote a book, The 56 Solutions to Healing Trauma, a while ago, a free ebook, and neurofeedback um, is one of the solutions in there. And I'm a firm believer, I've had a small experience of it and biofeedback, but I don't know enough. So we're delighted to have you here today, who I think is an absolute expert in that subject. And thank you for giving up your time today to Trauma Thrivers to talk more about it. I'm so, really excited. So I have to say again, you know, it's no effort for me because neurofeedback has so much to offer that uh, having an audience that would be prepared to hear what it is and what it does and dismantle some of the myths uh, that may be, you know, uh, behind worries and allow, uh, you know, exp experimenting a little bit with the idea of how to introduce it with one of your existing clients. 
and another, you know, dismantling those myths and having a think about it. It's really yeah. important. Yeah, it is really important. And I know that we've got both clinicians and survivors or thrivers, as I like to call them in this group, but also this will be being available on the podcast afterwards. So people will be tuning in from not just the Facebook Live, but elsewhere to have a listen to. So Without further ado, how did you get into this field in the first place? And I mean, I read all your accolades and PhDs and all the rest of it and think, my God, how did you find the time to do all of that? Uh, yes, I think it's my special interest is to learn. So right. when did I, you start learning, Dr. Anna? When did you get into this, this kind of work? Well, I give you an anecdote from childhood because I think your thrivers will enjoy it, which is that my parents decided to change schools from nursery to year one. And I was terrified and I decided that I needed to be prepared. So I found out that allegedly these children knew how to read in year one already, and I didn't. So I said to my mother, I have to know how to read before I go to school, right? I'm not going to be the last person. Anyway, so my mother taught me to read in the summer between year R and year one. And it's, it's been to me the bestest ever. And so it's opened to me the world to so much. Yeah. And since then, it's just been magical. Learning has been something I really enjoy. Okay, so, so when, when did you start as a psychologist? Where did, you, did you study psychology at school or? I did psychology at school and then I did the first undergraduate degree in psychology. Um, but I was very clear from the beginning that I was in love with psychology when I was like 16. So I was very much, you know, that's why I had time to do so much because yeah. I've always done psychology in one capacity or another yeah. so psychology has been uh, my love if you will yeah and so you've always been a psychologist so you haven't yeah. you know yeah detoured from that yeah. and, and when did you get involved in the neurofeedback aspect of it well when I was working you know the the work I have has a transition so I will explain because it makes sense so my first uh, diploma in treatment modalities apart from being a clinical psychologist etc so the one I did extra was group psychotherapy specifically psychodrama because I felt that um, being in a group was incredibly powerful yeah. The support of the group, having like um, um, Irving Yalom calls the universal uh, healing factors and universality, yeah. learning from others, teaching others, all these universal, um, all these different healing factors in the group were very significant. And I had a wonderful experience with Monica Zaretti to start my own healing journey. I loved it and I thought, whatever, this is it. Then I came for, to England for a conference and I met Marsha Karp and um, she was then living in a hole, which is now a, a healing centre. So okay. people now will recognise it. So I lived there for a while because I didn't have any money. So I said, look, you know, 
I'll clean or whatever you need. I'll be your helper and mine. I have no shame or whatever. I'll just do whatever you need, but I can't pay you right now. And so we made an agreement. She was very generous with me. And um, I did whatever I could for a few months of living there. And then I continued the training, um, you know, separately. Well, like most people. And from there, I went to work and I started working with adults in primary care. And I thought, I've missed the boat here. The problem starts in childhood. Yes. So what am I doing sitting with adults? I need to start working with children because obviously that's the prevention. And if yes. we heal the children, we don't get these problems, right? Yes. So I, I started to work with children. And then I thought, I don't know a thing. I need to learn family therapy. Okay, 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 yeah. You see yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, I, to be better, I need to learn family therapy. So I did the, the family therapy training. And then um, I realized that there are many factors that are intrinsic to the individual that are biological. Um, and so I did neurodevelopmental specialty, ADHD, ASD, <clears throat> I kind of, uh, and then I realized the body was very important. It wasn't just, you know, the genes. Yes, yes. You yes. know, when something goes wrong, um, it, there is a biological imperative to respond in particular ways. These children are not angry or bad. It's just something else is going on, right? Yeah. So I started to work in different ways with biofeedback. And I thought, oh, this is so slow. By the time we get there, you know, they are 15 years old kind of thing. Yeah. So I continued researching uh, Stephen Porges. Okay. And I read everything I could find from the neuro, interpersonal neurobiology section. I, I pretty much read everything, uh, like Cozzolino, Daniel yeah. Siegel, um, and, and, Oh my God, it was amazing. I really loved it. Yeah. And that's how I came across uh, Vessel van der Kolk work. Um, he had done some experiments with psychodrama. So there's some psychodrama, very amusing psychodrama sessions, but he started to talk about um, neurofeedback. Okay. And I was in a conference and I thought, hmm, that's what's missing. Amazing. So I went to investigate um, what it was. There was no one in the public actually who knew much about it. So I probably spoke with 90% of the people in the conference to see if anyone knew about it. What are you doing? What are you doing? And so on. That was very amusing. And I found some tips and then I started to train in, um, in the infralow neurofeedback method because I felt that that was the most effective and had more uh, research grounding and I went all the way to Germany to wow. get the hang of it. Wow. Yeah. So 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 for me and for those listening, I hope I'm asking questions that are relevant to those listening. Can you start with what's the difference between biofeedback and neurofeedback? And then I'm really interested about the area of neurofeedback you chose and why you chose that area, just so that people listening can yeah. understand what all the differences are. I think it's a very important question. And in fact, I think we should always start from there because 
it really makes a big difference. So if we start from the common point, then when we start using computers, then we started to learn the interface between the individual and a machine, yes? Whatever machine. So then you go, oh, well, it's useful and it's not useful. So when we started to explore that, one of the things that we started to realize is that providing accurate information of what's going on is really helpful. Uh, so then biofeedback is gathering information from the body with a computer or a tool. Yeah. And then you get that information back. Yes. Yeah. In a way, kind of something that goes subconsciously, like your heart rate or your skin conductance, or how wet your hands are if you're sweaty, um, and so on. That tells so can you I ask you, Anna, that the, the biofeedback I had was cuffs around the wrist, cuffs around the ankle, and a headband. Yes. But as well as reading information, what it felt like to me, and, and I'm a lay person in, in this regard, is it felt like something was coming down the biofeedback to me because I wanted to have trauma reactions whilst I was doing the biofeedback, like gurning. Do you know what gurning is? Yes. So is well, that I, normal or is that a trauma? Yes, one? I think it's uh, it, it triggers... All of these computer interactions really triggered myths and fantasies to everyone. Right. If you've watched a Clockwork Orange, or if you watch um, any movies where you know even torture resembles being um, being observed uh, outside uh, signs to then decide how much more they're going to infringe certain things yeah so, so is something coming down is something coming down the cables in neurofeedback or biofeedback neither. no no <laughs> wow it's like a thermometer like a bowl to go collect water like um uh, you know i don't know like and any tool that you have to take a measurement of something as yeah. i say is like a thermometer. I mean, you can measure the temperature, you can measure your own temperature. So if you're warmer, you are usually more relaxed. Yeah. Of course, not when you have an illness, but usually after when you are practicing biofeedback, you get a little bit warmer. When you do a yoga session and you lie down in Shavasana, you feel cold because your body temperature will be very noticeable. Yes. Right. And so you need to have a little cozy. So body temperature is important, but that they, there's nothing coming to you. To you. Okay, so it's okay. just a reading instrument of what's going on in your nervous system, your yeah. heart rate, your body, yeah. and neurofeedback is the same. Absolutely. So in neurofeedback, we normally use uh, the EEG, electroencephalogram. So you use the electrodes and you you glue the electrodes to your scalp and so on so nothing gets onto your head okay no it's a it's a fancy way to figure out what's going on inside your head okay but it's a very <laughs> rudimentary thing i only see if you are having you know this wave or the other wave or if there's a lot of action or if there isn't so 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 what actually 
is neurofeedback? I know that you might have some slides that you've prepared for us or is that does that tell us exactly what neurofeedback is yes i have that but to say something in simple terms yeah really the only thing it is is another different way to create a mirror outside of what's going on inside that's all it is so we have a mirror and then you look at it and you say, oh, that's my face. Some people don't recognize themselves. But imagine you're going down a street and there's lots of shops and there's typically those shops that capture images, say like a TV video recording shop, something yeah. like that, or one yeah. of those that sell security cameras. You go by and then you see your image on the television, right? As you pass by and you always yeah. go, yeah. who doesn't right yeah. or like you know i don't know whether you've noticed it in in your interviews when you're working on zoom some people just can't stop looking at their own image on the video camera yeah and then yeah you go, yes that's what feedback does it gives you the feedback and your brain perceives your performance okay. and then makes a choice as to whether there's an alternative more efficient way to do whatever it is Okay. That's all it is. Okay. So can you talk us through what you would do in a session and how it works for people if they choose neurofeedback, for example, for trauma? Yes. So this is very important because each session as you move along your journey will be different in any modality. And so... Uh, in, in this modality is no, is no difference. The, the first session will depend on whether this is something that is a person that is held together by a team or is held individually by only one professional. So obviously the choices that you make of how you approach the first meeting with someone will depend on you know, where that person is coming from or sitting with. So if we were for the simple, you know, uh, ordinary general public situation, it may be that uh, they heard about it and they want to come and do something because they feel anxious or they're not sleeping well. So then you do just a normal clinical assessment like you would do anyone. Okay. And then you identify the client's goals and then you go, well, with these mm, goals, I think you are a match for neurofeedback. Just because you come and say, I want some neurofeedback, it doesn't mean that there's any, you know, that solution works for you. So if it doesn't work, you have to say it doesn't so, work. So, so, so people listening are, are going to be going, so who does it work for? Who doesn't it work for? And how does it work? Yes. Would this be a good po point, a yeah. good place to start yeah. with the slides? Yeah. Because... Um, it would be a real shame to fall through when there may be nice pictures. You yeah, know. no, go ahead. I've, I've enabled sharing. So okay, sorry for anybody. Now I need to figure out how to do the view slide only. Got it. Yeah. So I sorry for anybody. And now I'm going to share the screen. Only. And on the. I can't see the one, the one I need to share. It's down at the bottom normally, the share screen along the bottom. 
It's a little green. I know, I find that, but I don't find this green I want to share. So I've got that. Ah, it's because there's too many things open. So I'm going to close them. I apologize. I prepared. I prepared uh, other things in case uh, you were interested. So we could look at them. And just apologizing to anybody that's listening on audio only and hasn't got video. You're gonna miss this bit, but you can always grab it off the YouTube channel or come and join the Trauma Thrivers Facebook group. Uh, All the lives that we've got are just on the feed if you scroll back. So, and actually they're all under the video section as well. Okay, I think I've got it now. I'm just going to do share screen again. Got it. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Right. So if you get view presenter mode, then we don't have the bars on the left and the right. Thank you. Um, presenter. Yeah. Slide only? Maybe. Um, play sometimes. That's better. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, so what is neurofeedback and how does it work? So it's going through the answering that question of how does it really work and this idea of creating a mirror. So neurofeedback wants to help your normal person by enhancing, by making you aware of what's happening inside you but not in a deep and meaningful way, but in a very basic way. Are you hot? Are you hungry? Are you uh, cold? Are you feeling a bit nauseous? Is your mouth dry? Yeah, it gives you more sensory awareness. Okay, so it's helping with interoception, somebody's ability to be able to sense what is going on in their body, which we know is a big problem for those of us that have been through complex PTSD or struggled with trauma. Yes, and it happens very, um, it's very apparent. It's very noticeable um, in the sense that people will come and say, oh my God, I didn't realize I missed half of the conversation. And because I'm so anxious or preoccupied or I get disconnected with people and then they laugh and I am left out not laughing because I disassociated because of whatever. So this helps you recognize when it happens. And if you had a therapist that isn't talking therapy, you could take that to your therapy to recognize the triggers. Yes. And work yeah. with those. Right. The other thing here that I was explaining, I hope not too uh, badly, it provides a mirror of your brain. It doesn't give you anything at all, but you can be aware of what's going on in your own brain. Why? Because as you're using the equipment, the screen goes black and you go, well, what's going on? I had a child who said it really really lovely. He said, "Um, I I don't want to play this game. I want to play adults games. 
And what he was noticing is that the screen was very slow and he wanted to play a game more interactively. But because he was so frustrated, this, the screen was slowing down. It was the feedback, yes? Right. So the okay. more frustrated you are, the more feedback you get from the screen. Well, the more apparent it is. So if okay. you fight it, you just go slower, yes? So the, the screen that you're interacting with is trying to get you into what we'd call ventral vagal, I'm assuming? Yes, it's trying to get you to be aware of what's happening in that area. Okay. And then the principle that lies underneath is that of neuroplasticity, the ability to learn, and the brain learns to improve from itself as well. Okay. So that's what it is. It allows your own brain to learn who you are in that way. So okay. you can learn to regulate better. So as people are seeing the mirror and they're kind of regulating themselves, I, I assume back into their window of tolerance and trying to come out of sympathetic activation or dorsal vagal states, are they being given tasks or words or what's happening on the screen? I love your question. I love your question because a session works at brain speed. So each session you can get thousands of points of feedback. Ah. So you're not going consciously, oh, this is feedback. I should look at this or this is it's not language is very slow for your brain <clears throat> so language is not what how you mediate your own brain activity so this is all at a subconscious level in the sense that is faster than your own conscious awareness um, so your brain notices that you are not enjoying this and that's something to enjoy it more whatever that means at that time okay. and then the feedback is visual is auditory and is sensory. There is a little buzzer that gives you a buzz. It's very fun. Okay. Some people hate it, I love it. Yeah. And what's the buzzer or the feedback or the auditory or, this or the whatever? What's it telling you to do? Nothing, your brain chooses. That's why it doesn't give you anything. This is a mirror and then you, you put your lipstick or you brush, brush your hair or maybe not. This is, you go, okay, I'm, I'm outstanding. Uh, uh. This is what I'm saying. You don't get, you don't get any, uh, any push for anything whatsoever. Neuroplasticity means that your brain chooses. And that is important because you go, well, I want, I have typically, I want to improve my handwriting. And you go, good luck with that. The neurofeedback helps with handwriting, but it requires that you learn other things because for the brain's perspective, handwriting isn't influencing your survival. So you will get better handwriting, but it's not a goal that I would recommend we start with. I would recommend we start with sleeping better, having been more awake, uh, at your arousal levels being more balanced uh, okay. because those things uh, matter to to your survival those things you will be achieving earlier so waking up refreshed okay being able to focus 
So what slide two, because I think some of my questions you might be answering anyway as we go. Yeah, so this is the, the one, the questions you were asking me about the session. So in the session, we will be putting some electrodes on the scalp of the person. And you have there the picture of a, of a, of a profile there with some of the sites that we use for neurofeedback. So we'll put the electrodes there or wherever we have decided it's important for the person. And in the meantime, the person will be interacting with the computer and seeing that picture or, or sounds or, as I said, the buzzer or the three of them. So as you interact, you can see the arrow there uh, going to the amplifier. That is a, a neuro amp, like an EEG amp, that translates your information from the head to a computer language. And then that goes again to the screen. As you can see, you, you need a really good uh, computer equipment, one that has very good visuals, and, a, and a, a good technology to be able to deliver it. Okay, okay. And then what happens next? Okay, so you're working there. So what happens there is that you see yourself in action when you are trying to interact with computer. Some people like being very active. Some people like doing Sudoku. It doesn't matter what you actually interact with so long as you engage. Now the brain is looking to address its own priority. So if I want to, um, for example, um, this is the, uh, oh, I want to be more eloquent and find better words, yes? That would be a left side training. But if my right side training hasn't been achieved yet, or I'm not very good with this side, then the brain will need to address that first. So calming and recognizing the environment and so on is more of a priority from the brain's perspective. So we will get to your goal, but you need to allow for the unexpected that maybe your brain will surprise you. Yeah. And how do you work out, or how does the computer work out what it is the brain actually needs? That's a very good question. I have I have a, a slide for that. So let me. Do you want me to go to that slide? Yeah, amazing. All right, so then I need to go to the view and find it because I have it. Well, but it's interesting. It. Yeah, you kind of got that access and reprocess unresolved traumatic memories, which was. I wonder if yeah, so that is okay. It's not that I can that I can show you. So I think that's it. Okay. So infralonial feedback is, is usually one of the first steps for any neurofeedback training. But to address it specifically um, unresolved emotional issues and um, a specific events that have been traumatic, then ideally you would like to do alphazeta training, which is a different style of neurofeedback. Okay, um, and what does that style of neurofeedback do? And is that better for people that have got trauma? Well, it is a second step rather than better. Okay. Because the first step for, neuro, for any person with trauma 
would be to address being stable. Yes. Uh, affect stability so that you are not as triggered by random, if you will, from the perspective of the person. You know, the environment is a trigger. Uh, it's endless amount of things that get you triggered. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so the, uh, the basic of neurofeedback is to acquire that stability. This is to address the unresolved memories, which is step two. But once you feel safe in the world, then you open the memories, right? Um, let me show you. Um, I've got it here. So the working with trauma specifically is yeah. to require self-regulation. Yeah. To be able to fall asleep like, rather than hear the boiler, then the cracks, then the, I don't know, birds in the attic. Yeah. And what happens with PTSD, for example, or other kinds of trauma is that they get those moments of intense arousal where you feel... Uh, really upset or really disturbed or disassociate or this mood swingy type. So that's what new feedback really does very well. You just don't get those extremes of over aroused or under aroused. So and what happens with being over aroused is that you get into risky behavior, you put yourself at risk because you want to get that high or maybe you do other things like self-harm or using substances or you know, going to walk in, in, in wild places or whatever. Um, so then when you don't need to be so aroused, then your life really changes, it really yeah. changes. Because you know, once you increase that balance, then you don't have nightmares you improve your sleeping you don't get hyper uh, hyperactive like you have to complete everything you're not aggressive you're not unpredictable you get more calm and the opposite side that really helps is when you are feeling a bit brain foggy when you have a bit nausea with the anxiety, when you feel really low, when you can't motivate yourself to do something, when you procrastinate, um, you have low energy. So yeah. your feedback will sort of soften the edges of both extremes, high and low, and create a sense of movement within a range rather than off or under. Does that make sense? It does. It is starting to make sense. I suppose what's still coming up for me <laughs> is I get it with the uh, theta waves and all the rest of it that looks like is part two when you're working with trauma because theta actually alters brainwave states, doesn't it? Yes. But I'm, I'm wondering how it works still, how, how, the how of it. The how as in how does the brain work or the how as in, because you are comparing different size building blocks. Okay. So when you do alpha zeta, say the size of that building block is a brick size. So when you build a, a wall, you need bricks. That's the size. Alpha zeta are small waves. So you can have a few per minute. 
Right. When you are working with infralow, you work with 0 0.0001 hertz. When you're talking alpha, you are talking 15, 20. Can you see the difference in size? So yeah. the brain waves that we address directly with infralow are completely different and very much underpinning pretty much everything the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system does. So you think of the vagal theory and how the cranial nerve gets activated or underactivated. This would be supporting a better regulation with that particular level. Because it's teaching, it's teaching us to slow down the brainwave or to regulate itself within our own system to that because it's working on that 0 0.001. So it's trying to either bring it up or bring it down. No, more specific. Let me be more specific. Yeah. So say, okay, say you have this mirror, yes? You, you get a mirror and the mirror is showing you either the, um, you know, the, the um, oxo-circus square, uh, the circus of oxo-circus, uh, so you can see that in New Year's Eve and you see the people, the building, this is a very big picture. Or you can have a microscope and have a look at what's happening inside a cell. So the feedback that the infralow gives is a very different level, which underpins many different biological functions, not just the one or two, yes? Right. So when you are looking at a cognitive conscious level, you go to brick size. When you're looking at infralow, meaning feeling of safety, waking up refreshed, you are encouraging the autonomic nervous system to do the automatic functions, like keeping you warm or hot, like uh, slowing down your, your activity to be able to rest. When you have experienced trauma, most people don't rest restfully. They, there's always an ear, like a cat, listening to what's going on. Yeah. Once you've done your feedback, you wake up refreshed. Okay. Your digestive system goes well. You don't get angry because you're hungry. You, you can't tell the difference. I'm cranky now. I need to eat something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. then there will be an awful lot of triggers about being hungry that don't get triggered. If you've been abused, having a very unnurturing experience or around food, you will be less triggered because you, you recognize your body needs much more easily. So an awful lot of problems get just discarded. They won't even be a problem. Okay. I'll give you another example. So I had a, a client that um, was very anxious to leave the house. And um, it was very difficult to convince them to come to see me. But um, they, they forced themselves, etc. cetera. We, we, we got it through. And then they said, you know, I used to have um, nausea and, and travel sickness. I think that's why I wasn't leaving the house because I don't um, have sickness and I've noticed now I leave the house. So, you know, you go, well, we've never talked about phobias or, you know, agoraphobia or anything. 
but now he hasn't got agoraphobia. He just goes out because he's happy to be in the car. He's happy to go outside. He takes a bus and he's never sick. So sometimes we do things that have perfect common sense for who we are biologically, but we have overinterpreted some of the responses beyond the natural need to keep well and survive. Yeah. So who does it not work for? Who would you not take on for neurofeedback? I would be cautious when someone has unrealistic expectations of how much can be achieved, uh, how quickly. <clears throat> I think with complex trauma, it's a bit like homeopathy in some ways where you need to, or cutting your fringe, you know, you cut your fringe this way and then this way is always shorter. So then yeah. you cut your fringe this way and then this way is, is longer. So you need to balance once you uncover and deal with one problem, another problem will be uncovered. Yeah. And the journey is the commitment rather than the ultimate goal. There is a commitment to be um, unsurprised that, hey, this is coming up. Yeah, yeah. So would you say that it was more time effective than other therapeutic modalities or that it can be similarly, you could be in neurofeedback weekly longer term as well? You know, I think neurofeedback has a place and uh, needs to be, um, for example, for those people who find it very hard to talk about anything, that they have been um, numbed by life or their experience. And so they are fearful or haven't got the practice. Yeah. So neurofeedback will help regulate, will help them find the words, will help them feel more comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. And then they will be able to go to therapy and digest what's happened to them because they will feel safe enough yeah. to do it. Yeah. But neurofeedback doesn't teach you anything. So if you need to resolve um, something that is relational, you still need to learn relational skills. Maybe yeah. you feel open to them. Like yeah. this guy who naturally just went out of the house. We never covered the chapter phobia worrying out yeah but other people may have other problems that require specific attention so neurofeedback is is a is a pause neurofeedback is a part uh, neurofeedback is a complement neurofeedback addresses people when people got stuck uh, in something or when they are too frightened or when the disassociative symptoms get triggered so easy that uh, they feel they have ADHD that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Or yeah. when you have migraines because of stress. Okay, it's good for that too. Have you got any more slides, Dr. Anna, you want to share with us? Yes, I wanted to explain how do we know what to do because I think that will give you a little bit of, um, of a picture. Let me show you this. It's not too, it's not too intense, I hope. Let me see what you think. Okay, that looks good. So here, yeah, I'm trying to represent on the 
on the right side of the screen, there's a different traditional EEG placement. You just, if you have a little hat, like in the EEG hat, that's what you will have all of those potentially. We yeah. only use four, usually. Really nice. useful. So you don't have the whole head full of stuff. It's only two. It's only two active and other two. Anyway, so here you can see on the other one where you have the four quadrants, you have all the different areas that we work for the specific goals of the person. Right. Amazing. So, say somebody is, uh, has problems with fear and attachment. Uh, and a very reactive emotionally get upset, get angry, get uh, sad, then we will be working on the front right hand side. Okay. Uh, whereas if somebody has had uh, difficulties in their physical experience, they are disconnected in their senses, we will be working on the back, uh, on the right back. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, so when you identify what the person wants to achieve in their goals, then you go, how do we achieve those goals? And then you go, well, by training specific areas in turn. So you go, we start from here and then we move there and so on. Okay. And there will be symptoms that need to be worked in the, in the area that says stabilization, um, right and left. So yeah. that those above your ears, that's a very standard and recommended uh, placement as well for some aspects of trauma where there's instabilities, we call it. Yeah. Uh, no psychiatric instabilities, but like nausea, travel sickness, migraines. Yeah. That sort of yeah. thing we call instability. Okay. Amazing. Yeah, that makes much more sense now. Thank you. Yes, because once you know... If the person will tell you, you know, what that would be for them. I mean, if you think of your a client of yours, you say, just give me two or three features, then we'll say, oh, well, we'll start working on that place. Or that yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you get some people that have got it all going on and want all four quadrants? Most definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So for you, what's the future of neurofeedback like? Where are you, where are you heading next with it all? Where would you like to head? I, uh, to me, I think that the important side of neurofeedback is to uh, provide um, sound, information so people can make their own choices yeah. like those myths we were talking about before uh, where there's a confusion between biofeedback and neurofeedback yeah. and biofeedback it's really important you see the people running and they have a heart monitor they are doing biofeedback because they don't want to go over a certain number of uh, heartbeats per minute because that's not healthy yeah. Um, so now people run around uh, with biofeedback equipment, don't they? Everybody has like a watch and they watch their yeah. watch, whatever, um, yeah. and so on. So it's much more 
understood and then knew of feedback is, is, um, is important to be understood. And I think it would be lovely if it was part of a regular protocol of treatment where a person would choose to have um, some sessions as part of the journey. Okay. Have we finished with the slides now? Just so. No, have we no? finished with the slides? That's hilarious. Ah. I had some, uh, I wanted to show you an example of how do we know we are making any difference to anyone. Okay. So this is a, a one of our clients. And um, she had a, a history of, of trauma, significant trauma. And you can see, this is, so you can see, we started to work in June and then we finished our work in October. Yeah. And you can see that by July, there's a big gray area. Yes. That, that continues and expands going towards October. That's category positive. Right. If you wanted to measure if there was any any feelings that were changing as it relates to her compassion to herself and others, as it relates to her ability to tolerate and engage with others, to be a better parent and so on. So you can see that's when we started Alpha Zeta training. Right, yes. Is that Amazing. making sense now? So yeah, no, that's great, it's great. Yeah, so we that's great. We had some goals. She was a very uh, stable, uh, uh, in spite of everything, she was very neurologically stable and everything was going well for her. She improved very quickly. And then she said, I really want to do this, I, this thing of addressing my memories. Yeah. So we worked with that and she, she took some of the experience to her therapist as well. So we didn't engage in the talking part. She yeah. had her own therapist. Okay. So this allowed her to feel safe to feel calm and to really tackle that uh, worry she had. Amazing. That's this is great nice, isn't it? Because it gives you, we yeah. track our improvement. It's not my opinion. This is the person's opinion. And when she said, I'm ready, I want to do it. I said, okay, let's do it. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Okay, I'm just aware, aware we're, we're coming up to the half past mark, so. Okay, so this is a picture of the choices she made of what she wanted to work on right and what she wanted to use as cues for improvement so it doesn't have to be um, you know a psychiatric symptom at all yeah so she was th thinking like lack of sense of humor was important to her yeah or yeah. flashbacks of trauma obviously and depression but there were other things like PMS syndrome, uh, symptoms, difficulties in uh, waking up and sleeping. Yeah. Uh, difficulties in thinking clearly. So she chose what she wanted to focus on. Does Amazing. that make sense? Yeah. It, it, and that information is what we took to the quadrants. And okay. this is her cognitive changes. So in terms of hard numbers, her performance, her cognitive performance improved from 87 to 103, which is larger than one standard deviation, which means that uh, you can say that the changes will be able to be attributed to the intervention. 
because right. there were no other interventions at the time. Yeah, amazing. So she improved in sustained attention, she improved in speed of response and inconsistency. So she felt much more efficient yeah. than she was. Yeah. It wasn't just subjective. No, sure. Well, it's great when you can, you know, as you can with this, when you can actually measure data, isn't it? Because you can measure all of this, you know, therapy and, and interventions are much harder to measure, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, but whereas this see, is great. So once it works. You agree, yes, once you agree on what you want to achieve and we find out that we could potentially achieve it, we yeah. set out the plan. And then we measure what it is like before, what it is like later. Right, great. Okay. So for anybody wanting to find out more, Anna, because I'm aware we're coming up to an hour now, you know, where, where would you send them? What do they need to do? Well, if they want to work with me, I'm open to, um, to see them. It's not a problem. That's my website, drannasolutions.com. Okay. Brilliant. And I have a page there specifically about what does a session look like, you know, frequently asked questions. And then contact details and they can write to me via the website. Okay. Um, I'll do my best to get in touch. Brilliant. It works with professionals. So if you have a client that you feel um, is finding it hard to, um, to move forward because they have some barriers to access the conversation. They can't really articulate things well, or they feel too threatened. They need courage, if you will. Then they can have some sessions of neurofeedback as okay. well as, as an adjunct to your input. Yeah. Um, so they can keep the relationship with the main therapist. And this is another part of their journey. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and is there any approximate amount of sessions that do you know is there an average for, for or is that like asking a therapist how long no not at all we we, we take ourselves seriously when it comes to that because obviously you don't want another open-ended uh thing where you don't know where you're going with something yeah right? yeah so if you remember that that picture with the symptoms yes then we normally make uh, a minimum of 10 to know if your brain is responding and yeah. if it's responding positively, another 10 to consolidate gains. Okay. So this is a bit like the book, 21 days to change a habit. Yeah, yes. it's 20 it's seconds. the same principle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you would go for 21 sessions. Okay. And then if you want to do another uh, another 10 then we will review our goals and okay. another 10 okay but i would say no less than 20 yeah okay amazing thank you and just to come back to you what where now for you what's next well i would hope to um continue expanding and we have opportunities in the practice because we are busy in a good way, not in yeah. an overwhelmed way. So we are busy and we have opportunities for practitioners if they would like to join us or if they would like to experience what it would be like to have a multimodal approach to, to work with us and keep the patient if you want or the client. Yeah, so amazing. Be, um, you know, working much more closely with you. We do that with addictions 
um, and with eating disorders because normally uh, a person who is in recovery would be very aware of the needs to attend meetings or to have more than one way of keeping well. So yeah. they are the natural extension for us to be the support. But um, I open my, an invitation to everyone that in, in the audience who want to work with us and um, give a go at the multimodal approach. Okay. Because there's a few of you, aren't there, working within underneath your your umbrella? Yes, because you know I can't do everything, so I would no. work with some people, but my uh, my team will work with other people, and it just depends on uh, who is available for the right person at the right time. There is yeah. a flexibility about you know you know choosing how and who works with who. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. And for those of you listening and watching, I hope that today was useful for you. Find out more about neurofeedback. And Dr. Anna, uh, the slide has got her details and her website. Actually, for anybody that's listening on podcast, could you just repeat your website address, Dr. Anna, vocally? Absolutely. So DrAnnaSolutions.com. All right. So wonderful. I spell the whole word Dr. Anna because otherwise it sounds Drana. Okay, yes. It's just weird. So it's yes. Dr. Anna, D O C T O R. And I spelled Anna with one N, A N A. So it's All Dr. Right. Anna. Lovely. Okay. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time today. And thank you guys for those of you that are watching live or on replay. Please put some comments or ask some questions underneath and we will catch up soon. And um, for now, we're going to leave you for the rest of the Wednesday. Have a have a lovely bank holiday weekend, everyone. And enjoy whatever you're, you're, you're doing. And thank you, Dr. Anna. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. Oh, pleasure. Bye for now, everyone. Take care.